Welcome to an awesome episode of the Association for Experiential Education's original podcast. It's in the experience. I'm Sherry Bagley, Executive Director of AE, and your host for this conversation. For the new year, we have guests from different parts of the U.S. Aaron Leonard, a retired U.S. Army officer with over 35 years of leadership experience, is at the forefront of developing therapeutic outdoor adventure programs for the well-being of our guardians, military service members, veterans, and first responders. Currently serving as the program executive director of Another Summit at Guardian Revival, Aaron leads a dedicated team in New York's Hudson Valley. He's also the founder and chair of the Outdoor RX Coalition in New York, offering advisory insights to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Task Force on Outdoor Recreation for Veterans. He serves on the AEE Accreditation Council. In addition to his roles, Aaron is a volunteer firefighter and serves as the president of Cold Spring Fire Company Number 1. Aaron lives in Cold Spring, New York, where he shares his home with his wife, Leslie. Together, they have eight children and one grandchild. Fred Burrell, a licensed professional counselor and supervisor in Texas, formed Relatability after serving in the nonprofit sector as a program director, counselor, trainer, grant writer, and clinical supervisor. He has held a range of servant leader positions within AEE to include the chair position of the association's therapeutic adventure professional group. Through Relatability, he specializes in relationship building services for families, colleagues, and peer groups. Most of his professional experience has been dedicated to helping trauma survivors achieve relational goals and to helping trauma-serving professionals balance self-care with their capacity to care for others. Along the way, he has trusted experiential learning and adventure therapy to promote positive change among families, teammates, and organizations of many kind. Fred lives in San Antonio with his wife. He has two kids, a senior and a sophomore in high school. Thank you all for being here. We're coming together, and this podcast will come out at the beginning of the new year. We haven't uh, gotten there yet, but when the podcast is listened to, it will be 2024, and that's exciting. That means we're almost a year in. This is episode number 10, so you guys are special number 10, I guess. <laughs> and I wanted to start out with just a few icebreaker questions to get us know each other a little better. I know you two don't know each other very well yet. So my first question is, do either of you listen to any podcast besides this one, obviously? And if so, which is your favorite? I was going to share that I listened to this great new podcast called In the Experience, but <laughs> <laughs> I added another one, Tailboard Talks. It's a firefighter podcast that focuses on health and wellness. I started following this one since I rejoined the fire service just a few years ago. It's mostly stories of how firefighters process their experiences in these unscripted, creative ways. I find it pretty engaging. Awesome. So I'm a big fan of Will White's work with the stories from the field. You know, mm -hmm. like he tackles some pretty important conversations and has very interesting people on. So it's good to listen to that. And I think the other one I get caught listening to sometimes is, well, anything like true crime when I'm driving with my wife. She like, for some reason, she loves true crime stuff. <laughs> Anytime I jump into her car, that stuff automatically pops up. <laughs> it was all pretty cool. Yeah. What was yeah. the name of the first one that popped up that was so popular for a while? Serial. Serial. Yeah. yeah. I listened yeah. to that. I binged it driving across the U.S. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, it was so good for driving. Three or four hours would pass, and I was like, wait, where? what state am I in now? <laughs> Excellent. 
Yeah. Her, I think her, her Spotify wrapped came up and she was the top 4% of one of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, mine would be Smartless. That's my, Smartless is my, my podcast that I listen to. It's got Jason Bateman and Will Ornett and Sean Hayes and it's just silly. <laughs> I'm not learning anything really sometimes, but yeah, it's a good one. What's the last concert you went to? For me, that was easy. Fred, you want to roll with this one first? Sure, I'll do it. Yeah, actually, just a couple of days ago, I went to AJ Croce. Croce plays Croce. I went with my mom. They played here in San Antonio at the Topin Center. It was great, man. It was a great show. I heard a variety of music, but also got to listen to some of Jim Croce's work. And nice. see, Yeah, so seeing Jim Croce on video and then AJ Croce play some of those songs, that was pretty cool. I like that. Wow, that's really cool. Bad Leroy Brown. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. My wife and I and some friends went camping on the Jersey Shore and caught the Outlaw Music Festival because it's such a cool name. We weren't really sure who was playing. So we got there and it was Marcus King and his band, the Abbott Brothers, and then Willie Nelson at the end yeah. of his family. Oh my goodness. Awesome. That was amazing. <laughs> Willie's guitar is so old, it's got a hole in it from where yeah. he hits it with his fingers. So that was pretty cool. And you just stumbled onto that one accidentally. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. All right. One more. What is something people are always surprised to learn about you? I think that I have found people are surprised that I actually have a sense of humor and that I actively practice some form of mischief. <laughs> Everybody assumes that I'm a very serious person. It's almost like you want to hear more about that. Maybe. I know. <laughs> I think for me, I, just, I think what surprises people is that they learn about my my role in the certification council. When I talk about the certification council and the stuff that we're doing and the fact that now we have that certified clinical wrench therapist credential, they want to learn more. And so when they learn that I'm part of that team, that surprises them. Thanks for sharing. I feel like we could have a whole another podcast. We're always like thinking about break off podcasts that we could have from this one and the mischief makers of AEE could be a new. <laughs> Make sure John Conway's on that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fred, while you're talking about being on the certification council and how that might be surprising for people, can you talk about how you got into experiential education and what your path was for that? So my first real experience that really struck a sense of awe in me is when I saw like my brother and sister up on a high commitment V and that was like back when I was in college, like undergrad. And hey, I didn't know. Can you, sorry. Can you explain what that is for people who don't know? Yeah. So high commitment. So it's a high ropes element. They were suspended well, on belay, of course, right? I think it was about 25, 30 feet in the air, walking across a, a high element that it's formed in the shape of a V. And so of course, progressively the lines get further and further apart, but they had to support each other as they're walking further down that V. And so I loved, yeah, I loved seeing my brother and sister work together. And I really hadn't experienced anything like that before. So it was cool to see them and then learn just how powerful that kind of experience can be. So that was my, I think my real first introduction to adventure. And so I learned a little bit about it then. And then when I was in undergrad, I was in a group's counseling class with a, a professor uh, named Suzette Lamb. And she ran her class almost like it was a support group in seen because we did a lot of experiential learning activities. She was very engaging in the way that she promoted like conversation through activity, learning through experience. And so it was cool to see how that came together in a group counseling class. And then when I graduated with uh, my undergrad, I started to work with uh, an organization that did a lot of experiential learning. 
And as I was in that position, I was also in grad school. And so I was starting to learn about clinical theory. I was starting to learn about the ways that people just relate and learn and grow. So I found a lot of overlap, of course, right in, in the way that people approach adventure experiences and, and just labeling just counseling in general and professional development. And so it, it almost seemed like I was on the, on the edge of this brand new thing, right, called adventure therapy. And it wasn't until I met my friend, Noel Pompa, who told me, no, man, there's like a group of people. Yeah, and so he introduced me to AEE. And so from there, I just got involved with the, the organization. And I think that was back in 2009, something like that, maybe a little bit before that. But my, yeah, my friend Noel introduced me to, to this work as a profession and helped me learn about the different ways that I could connect with people through adventure. Awesome. Wow. So you came directly into it. You didn't mess around. <laughs> yeah. It was fun for me. Yeah. I really love that. I used to do some preparation for adult living groups for kids who were exiting in the foster care system. And my, my boss at the time, her name was Terry, Terry Hip. She was one of these people who really wanted to promote empowerment for the kids through experiential learning. And so she let me continue on the program that she developed to help bring adventure and experience education into the work. So helping kids transition from foster care into independent living through these experiential activities was very powerful for me. It helped me really appreciate the fact that we could do some good stuff with adventure and helping people connect with each other and their strengths. Awesome. Aaron, how about you? How did you get into experiential education? That's a great story, Sherry. I think it's going to be maybe chapter three of my soon to be extremely popular memoirs. <laughs> I'm going to go with the short version. My path isn't necessarily straight into this work. I enlisted in the U.S. Army after high school in 1987, and I retired in 2014. So I did 27 years in the military. And it wasn't a casual experience. It was pretty heavy, especially after 9-11. And when I was in my last combat deployment in the Middle East, Towards the end of 2011, we were preparing to uh, redeploy back to Texas with the 1st Cavalry Division. And I was a senior leader in the Army at the time, so I was a senior leader in this deployment. Had a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things to manage and watch, and a lot of frustrations to go with that, but all healthy. I felt fine physically and emotionally. And something floated across my awareness about going dog sledding with an organization called Outward Bound. Never heard of Outward Bound. This is 2011, right? Never heard of them. But it was a, a program that was all expenses paid if you were in the military or military veteran. So me and two of the folks I was deployed with thought it'd be cool if we went. So we signed up in March of 2012. That was my first exposure to experiential education. And uh, I got hooked. Here I am. <laughs> and so since then, you've done a few things including getting another degree. <laughs> yes. And having a few jobs, right? <laughs> when I retired, I didn't have to work. I had enough income from my retirement to live just fine. But I was really concerned with how people in the military are transitioning back into their civilian lives. A lot of observations or personal experience with suicides and domestic violence, drug and alcohol misuse. And I understood the military's role was not necessarily to create an emotionally healthy person after they leave the military. The Veterans Affairs Administration seems to have that responsibility, and it's a hit and miss as to whether or not someone successfully makes that transition. From that one time with Outward Bound, I realized that there was a lot of value in the outcomes of even a short experience, but I didn't understand the process, the philosophies or ideologies that were used. So I started to work in the field 
without knowing anything. I went to my first AEE conference in 2012 and have been to, I think, most of them since then. Met people like Fred and yourself and, and others who guided, mentored, have become friends with. Yeah, I went back to school to Prescott and got a grad degree there in outdoor education and leadership. And now I run a company, an outdoor venture company. So it's been a wonderful experience. I'm super fortunate and feel really blessed to have had this opportunity. And I know a lot of folks who might listen to this would understand the feeling you get when you see a transformation over time or in front of your eyes of a person that you're working with. So that keeps drawing me back to it. I find the work to be very therapeutic myself for me and my family. Really enjoy spending the time. I don't intend to stop doing this anytime in the future. I know there's folks that try to step away, but they always seem to come back. <laughs> that is true. Very true. Fred, what are you uh, focusing on in your work right now? I know you have your own company. What's the focus of that company and what are you really working toward right now? Yeah, I do. So I've gotten, I've actually got two different companies I'm leading. One of them is San Antonio Adventure Therapy. And the San Antonio Adventure Therapy, that's where I do my clinical work. In that work, I specialize in working with families to help strengthen their relationships and become more resilient together as they work through different traumas or just go through like a rough patch in their life for it. And that's how I, I really want to really concentrate on my clinical work. So I want to make sure that I'm separating that from the other stuff that I do through relatability because relatability, it's more about organizational health and wellness. And so with that company, my mission is to strengthen relationships one experience at a time. So I'm providing these opportunities for them to, to talk about some important things that are happening in their lives as people, not just coworkers, and help them to form like connections with each other as people. So that way they can rely on each other when things get tough at work. A lot of the things I like to do is work with people who help. So educators, social service workers, I think there's a lot of value in helping the helpers so that way they're, they're there for each other and they can be better there for their students and, and the, the clients that they serve. I do a lot of, a lot of work with that. Yeah. Aaron, that sounds similar to what you're doing, helping the helpers. That whole idea of, of working with people who have been doing stuff for other folks, first responders and veterans, and with your program that you work with now. Can you speak a little more about what that focus is on? So currently I'm with an organization called Guardian Revival. And the program that I run at Guardian Revival is another summit. It's a therapeutic outdoor adventure program that works directly with members in the military, uh, veterans of the military, anybody who is or was a first responder, and their families. Geographically, we work with people that are in the New York City metro area, mostly north of the city in the Hudson Valley. And our program targets and is designed to assist folks who we call guardians. And their transition into a healthy and purposeful civilian lifestyle. Although it attracts people from all over the community, including those who have no connection really to the military or to the first responder communities. So we don't say no to anyone. All of our services are no cost. We're privately funded. We have full-time staff, part-time staff, volunteers. We train and certify our own outdoor leaders. We operate in hundreds of miles of public land trails or accessible trails. We operate on lakes and rivers and streams. We go fly fishing, backpacking, all these different outdoor activities. And, and what I really enjoy about how we've designed our program, because we are new, we're only a couple of years old, is everything we design is for any age or ability level. And we try our best to keep public transportation as an option for folks so that members of our group that are in New York City can take a train to the trailhead or to the start point. 
it really increases the accessibility and starts to reduce barriers that folks may have faced in the past when trying to recreate in the outdoors. That's amazing. No cost to anyone. That's incredible too, that you're able to do that. Yeah, it is. It's fortunate. We were founded by two very energetic young men who live in this area. One was a U.S. Navy SEAL. And if you have ever worked with folks from the SEAL community, they are typically very driven. When I met them, it became clear that they were going to be successful. And I jumped on board to run this part of the program for them. And uh, yeah, we've just taken off. Clearly, there's a need, Jerry, just like the folks at Fred supports um, in this community. In the New York City metro area, there are hundreds of thousands of veterans and former first responders, and current first responders. This is a huge client population, or potential client population. I don't imagine we would be as successful if we were in a more remote part of this country or of New York, but because of where we're at and the, the funding we've been able to receive because of our founders' work in creating ways to support this project, we've just been pretty successful in building it out very quickly. That's all positive and really good. What's something you're struggling with right now, either of you in your in your work or with your organization? I'll go ahead and take this first, Fred. The program I run, Sherry, another summit, it's grown from one person, me, volunteering my time to send out some emails and gather a few folks up to hiking to six full-time staff, seven part-time staff, and about 10 volunteers. Later on tonight, we have an outdoor leader meeting, bringing everybody together once a month just to keep things going in the right direction. So that's a lot of rapid growth. And when you grow like that and you're serving a community like the one we do, I have found that one of the challenges is providing adequate training to our outdoor leaders. The most important part of the work is the interaction between the outdoor leader and the member of another summit. We don't call them clients. If they, they join, they become members. We don't have clinicians on staff at another summit. We do work with clinicians in our program design, but we are a therapeutic outdoor adventure program. We're bringing meaning to the experiences and our outdoor leaders need to be trained in, in doing that and some consistency across the methods. That's been a challenge is ensuring that we put a priority on training our outdoor leaders so that they can be successful, that they feel the love coming from us, not especially with our volunteers who are just giving their time to make a difference. And then the other one is, as a startup, marketing our services to this community. We have found that if we charge for an event or an experience, we will have a wait list and 100% attendance. But if we give the exact same event for no cost, we will have no shows and no wait list, which is interesting. Recently, we tried that with a canoe trip in the Adirondacks, beautiful part of the Adirondacks, the St. Regis canoe area. It's a $2,000 weekend experience for a paid client, and it's super booked. And then same exact leader, same exact experience for free, 50% don't show. Yeah. There's marketing research on that, that people have to feel like there's some value. If you're giving away for free, it must not be very good or it must not be that important. And that, yeah, it's fascinating. Even if it's like a $5 fee, like something, anything, people will be more committed to it. Yeah, that's really interesting. It is. So it's not a bad challenge, though. It's something to work through. Yeah. Especially the training development piece is really driving us on creating some excellence in our training program. Yeah. Fred, how about you? What are you finding challenging right now? 
So I really love doing training and adventure, right? So being able to train other professionals, especially like clinicians and, and uh, educators on the work. And I've talked with my buddies like Gary Stoffer and Tony Alvarez, right? So they're doing some really amazing work in Michigan, working with school districts, right? So where they're training teachers and educators, social workers to lead adventure classrooms. And that's something that I want to bring here locally to San Antonio. So what they were finding is that they're creating this system of adventure classrooms where the educators, social workers, they're feeling like empowered and, and strengthening their community as a professional group while they're learning to incorporate adventure for their students. And so there's a lot of parallels, right? So in how I see like my mission is I want to help the helpers, right? Become stronger, become better together, but then also promote adventure work. And so the challenge for me is finding like a partnering school or a group of schools who are willing to invest in that kind of a format. Because I think there's a lot of value in, in helping people come together to learn adventure right, as a professional group so they can deliver those experiences to the students that they care about. And so all the while, they're, they're helping to be a stronger group of people together. When they're getting together in that way, you're showing appreciation for each other, you're showing that you matter, you're creating a sense of collaboration. And so my vision is to make that a very strong program here in San Antonio. It's just, it's been difficult to find the right schools to connect with that kind of a model. As it is, right, it's going to take an investment on a lot of different levels, especially when teachers are being tapped and, and people who work in the schools are being tapped on all, all kinds of responsibilities to see this is one more thing, uh, one more thing to add to the plate could be true. Right, right. But what we're trying to do is say, you know, we can mold some of the things that you're already doing to help you meet your responsibilities, right? But you can learn a different skill. You can learn how to engage with each other differently. You can help learn how to create like these adventure classrooms in a way that's going to promote unity in your classrooms and while they learn. So that's been tricky, but it's something that I'm very passionate about. It's just finding the right setting for that kind of thing to happen. Yeah. I think that's a great idea, a great method, Brett, that taking what somebody already does and showing them how to just take it up a notch and you're already spending the time on it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Tony's work and, and Gary's work. Yeah, and then they're really cool people, right, just to hang out with and learn from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really hope to bring that into the San Antonio community. Yeah, and I think, Aaron, what you were saying with how do we market this program and how do we get the clients, I think that's one of the things that oftentimes in, in our line of work, the people who are who move up or in charge or open their own business, we often come in as facilitators or, or therapists or teachers and we don't have that business background. But yeah, marketing is its whole thing. <laughs> Finding clients is a whole thing. And, and I think we often, as a community, struggle with that. We know we have a good product. This is an amazing program. How do we get people there? And trying different things and, and talking about that is, is one of the things I think that, as a group, it helps when we, like you were saying, Gary and Tony have already established that in Michigan. So how do they do it? And how can we take what they've learned from getting that connection with the school district? How do you use it in San Antonio? How do you replicate that? Yeah. So after talking about the struggles and what you're focusing on, do either of you think the accreditation program or the certification program that AE has could help in either of these situations or could support your work? The accreditation program, certainly. I'm on the council for a reason, and I want my company to go through the process next year. Do you think there are ways that you could help each other out or support each other? I know oftentimes we're making connections and helping each other in AE as a community or finding people who know how to do something or somebody could provide training for you. But do you think there's ways that you could support each other? The question of how Fred and I can work together is a tough one. I'll tell you why. 
when I jumped into this work, I was reaching out and networking as much as possible. I was looking for partners when I worked at the Sierra Club, where I was leading their military outdoors campaign. I was looking for partners on federal policy. I was looking for partners on understanding programming opportunities across the country. And it became so complex trying to manage all of those different relationships. It just had to stop at one point. When I had the opportunity to join this team at Guardian Revival and we formed this program, I made it clear that I was not going to go beyond the boundaries of the Hudson Valley in New York. Wasn't going to create partnerships or relationships with other organizations where I would have to spend time away from what my priority is, which is training and supporting my staff and then doing the fundraising and the other grant writing and everything else that goes with the very important part of funding the program. Because if we're going to have staff in this part of New York, we have to pay pretty significant wages to attract people. Mm-hmm. The cost of living here is, is high. We want people to be able to raise a family in the, our communities that we work in. So we have to raise enough money to pay that type of wage in an area that is very highly taxed and has a lot of other hidden expenses. So my partners beyond this region are through professional organizations like AEE, where mm-hmm. I get a chance to meet with and talk to people at things I'm already spending my time doing. Fred mentioned earlier, that's a, that's really critical, right? Is how do we create something that does not become a time-consuming experience or a time-consuming relationship when we just don't have the time to maintain all these other relationships? As you noted at the beginning, I have eight children with my wife. How much time do you think we have to spend to maintain relationships with eight adult children? It all adds up. It's it's an analytical way of looking at it, but I think it's a healthy way of looking at it to cut down your relationships to what's manageable to maintain that healthy relationship. So that includes my professional relationships. Fred and I sat across from each other at a dinner table with Steve Pace and the rest of the accreditation certification crew at the last conference where we all had a chance to talk. And I think that is how we support each other is by being in attendance, being present, being willing to talk to and meet people at these conferences, go to their presentations, read their papers, and at times, like we are right now, appearing together on a podcast or maybe co-authoring an article that's in a magazine or a journal. And that is how I found it's best to support my colleagues and my peers is through these interactions, not through a specific hey, let's figure out a way to spend time on a Zoom call trying to help each other out. Yeah. Yeah, because I I see that. I I see the value. That's one of the reasons I've been involved with AE for so long is just those relationships that you create in the context of learning together and just being with each other. So when I first started my program, I, I relied on people like in Chicago Adventure there, like Andrea Knapper, to learn about what she was doing with her program over there. Sean Boyer and John Conway, what are they doing in their programs that I could learn from and then get connected with people like Christine Norton, right? So she provides some of the information, like the research, what's going on. And then she invited me to to learn from her, of course, right? And collaborate with her. And like in February, we're going to be doing a keynote together for the Texas social workers. And that's amazing, right? That, that I don't think that would have happened if I wasn't involved with AAE. And so finding those opportunities to, to collaborate in those kinds of ways has been really valuable. Yeah. So I think... 
you're right. And like, there's a lot of value in, in remaining connected with this kind of a professional group because there are going to be ways that they're going to support you. Like this stuff, the, what I just finished talking about with Gary and Tony, I got connected with them through AEE and, and learning about what they're doing by participating with AEE. And so it's, yeah, it's amazing the ways that we can find support, even if it's not like I was saying, like creating some kind of a official partnership or anything. It's just that. So the collaborative spirit, I think that people bring to AEE that really helps people grow together. And that's a great example. <laughs> yeah. the, very, the very first person I met at AEE was Christine Norton, <laughs> followed shortly by Alan Ewert, and then the list just keeps on going. Right? Yeah. And these are people that I have maintained a relationship with for 10 years, yeah. and they're mentors in my work. I have done projects with them. The, you know, Spread and I could end up working together at any time through AEE. Awesome. Sherry, even you have been part of a project. I know, I know. You you got me involved in a research project. I'd never done anything like that before. It was fascinating. Yeah. It was really great. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. If I had written you a script to tell why you love AEE, I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think it would have been any better than that. I I appreciate that information. That was good. There's another reason why I love AEE. <laughs> it's yeah. the after party. <laughs> <laughs> We do know how to party. I, I do have to say there there's some good times. I think great minds and great fun and all of it combined is really great. Yeah, that's what it is. People being human, right? After the work stuff and learning is done and yeah, having some fun together is important too. And one of the things we know in, in when you're like building community, you have to do the fun things. You have to sit down and have meals together. The, those are the things that connect us on a very micro level. Oh, it's fascinating to learn how you both love music. That's awesome. I was worried I was going to ask that question, like, what's your last concert? And somebody might be like, 10 years ago, I went to see, you know? <laughs> but no, it's awesome that you find out these things about people and you feel connected. What advice do you have for the next generation of experiential educators? So right now, one, one of the projects I'm working on is helping high schoolers, right? So high school seniors and juniors, I think I got a couple of sophomores. I'm helping them learn how to be group facilitators. And so I've loved introducing the facilitator wave model to them because I think helping them understand that there's like an art and science to this is important, right? So helping them recognize like, we don't, we're not just playing games, right? That we're working to create some change together, right? And so for new experiential educators, I think it's really becoming familiar with a model like that. So that way that there's always like a, a map that you can follow knowing that the map has like all kinds of different paths. But if you become familiar with a model like that, you learn how to structure and think about the work that you're doing. And then you start to like really foster your creative side and bring a lot of your own experiences, a lot of your like your own twists and nuances of different games and activities, right? And if you're comfortable and confident learning the model and incorporating those things, I think it's hard for you to get lost because you can always go back to figuring out, okay, where am I going with this group and why am I doing this activity at this time? And is this appropriate? Do I need to take a step back, right? Because the, a model will help you really ground yourself in, in what you're trying to accomplish for, for your group, but also for yourself too. And so I highly recommend that a new, new people learn a kind of a roadmap to use, um, knowing that man, in, in that process, you can have a lot of fun too. Fred, where would somebody find a version of the facilitator wave? The the ones that I like to use are uh, in, in their books, right? So The Power of One and The Power of Family, those are two different books. The Power of One and The Power of Family, it'll really introduce you to the facilitated wave model, but also give you some some really good activities to use and ways of thinking about 
how to incorporate the, that stuff into your work. Yeah, those two books are, are really good and really well laid out. Of course, there, there's another book that they they just created. I think it was released last year or maybe two years ago now, Adventure Group Psychotherapy. And so that's another book that really takes you through the model in depth. So if you really want to get grounded in that, of course, right, dive into the, a book like that. If you want to learn about it, games and how to incorporate that model right off the bat, I would highly recommend our one, The Power Family. Thanks. Aaron? When I hire or bring in a new staff member, I like to share with them some of my personal philosophy and how I transitioned from a hardened soldier into a approachable, warm, and loving outdoor leader. And I think that what's important and what I would give as advice to answer your question is that when you work in this field of experiential education, especially at the intersection between these outdoor adventures and the experiential methods that we use, I feel that we have to have a high level of confidence that's developed through years of study and experience. And that our confidence should not be because of our ego, but it should be because of that foundation that we've created over that time. I take this work very seriously, and I'm always learning, striving to challenge myself with something new so that I can represent our field as best I can in any situation. You never know who you're going to share it with. I volunteer at a fire company. I don't know what your all's experience with volunteering at a fire company is like, but it is a kaleidoscope of personalities that have decided that they will put themselves into some pretty traumatic experiences as a volunteer, which is amazing. You never know, like while we're on this call, there was a fire call that came in for an automatic fire alarm that I would normally go to, but I, I'm not because I'm here doing this. When I get off this call, then I am available again and I might go somewhere. You never know what might happen. I had a house across the street from where I live that caught on fire just a few months ago. My neighbor called and said, Aaron, our neighbor's house is on fire. And I went down to the fire company, jumped on the fire truck, came back and put it out. And then I went back to work. <laughs> so when I'm in that environment with all those other people that are able to and that, that are currently volunteering with us, and they say, what do you do? That one of the guys on the team is a sergeant on the NYPD on the city's counterterrorism task force. He is the scary looking guy at the airport or in Times Square wearing the helmet and the vest and carrying the assault rifle and making that area a hard target in a city that's clearly a high value target for a terrorist organization. That's a real world job. And he's a volunteer in the bar company. And he participates in our program because he's been exposed to many traumatic experiences as the police officer. And he appreciates the therapeutic benefits that going for a hike in the woods provides him, especially with a bunch of like-minded folks. He would not know about this program if I wasn't willing to speak about it in a way that he could relate to. So that knowledge and experience that you develop over years, that confidence you, you develop, your willingness to share that knowledge with others and encourage folks to participate in what we do, I think is very valuable advice. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to ask uh, one last question to wrap us up. And it is, when you're working with a group, what is your favorite prompt that you give for people to reflect upon? This is the best question. <laughs> people want to know. It's one of those things that, like, if you get a good one that can encourage people to do a deep reflection on the activity, 
Ooh, that's awesome. I can think of a couple of members of AEE that if they listen to this podcast, will be very closely listening to these responses. Yeah. You know, they'll probably reach out and say what they would have said. Yeah. Our initiative at another summit really centers on this whole idea of promoting health and wellness within the veteran first responder community. Success for us is when somebody is living a healthy and purposeful civilian life. And sometimes you get folks that will never get to that point, but you're always aiming for that. that that's like an agreed upon target for us. Based on my observations, the past decade that I've been doing this, which is not that terribly long, but I think long enough for me to have some insight. And knowing that there's so many people in our program at another summit that are actively seeking avenues for this positive transformation, right? Some positive change within their life. And they have these diverse identities. They have varying stages of health and wellness in those groups. Some are able-bodied, some are not. Some are emotionally healthy, some are not. Some have no social life or health, some do. So it's a really varied group of folks all together. So you're talking about a prop that would work in a way for that diverse group of folks. I like and I teach our outdoor leaders a method that involves taking time or a moment to appreciate the natural world that we're in at that moment, even if it's nearby nature within a short walk to a train stop or if we're out in the backcountry somewhere. So sometimes you can hear trains and traffic and sometimes you can't. Take a moment to be mindful and appreciate what you're in at that moment. And then I ask them in what ways can they foster a sense of gratitude that may serve as inspiration for positive change in their own life. I didn't initially use that as a prompt because as I mentioned earlier, I just jumped in this completely untrained. But during my time at Prescott, I was able to really study what we do. And that was something that kept coming up and that work was creating ways or avenues for folks to connect their experiences in nature with, with gratitude and then transferring that gratitude into their positive changes in their life that they're seeking to make. Thanks. So I really find a lot of value in gratitude too. And so what, what I'll do is I'll like at the very end work wrap in, I'll, I'll say something like, this won't be the last time you get to do this, but this is the next time you get to do this. So what I'm going to ask you to do now is thank somebody for something they did for you or somebody else. And it could be something that they helped you learn or something they did for you either physically or intangibly. So it could be like holding rub. It could be some like a kind of word or whatever, but helping them recognize that there's a strong importance that we've got a place on appreciating each other as people. And so in doing that, we're creating space for them to, to express gratitude for each other in ways that's going to help them anchor the experience somehow. So they may thank somebody for bringing their voice out, right? Or for inviting their voice. They may thank somebody for, like I said, holding their rope. They may thank somebody for speaking up when they don't normally do that. And so I, I really like to take ground reflection in a way that's going to promote continued work from here. So what are we grateful for in the moment? But remember that we can do that when we leave here too, especially if we're leaving, if we're working with a group of people who work on the same team or they're all part of the same like sports team or same like program, helping them to recognize that those kinds of things can happen if you're on, on a ropes course or not. And so taking the time to do that is important. Thanks, both of you. I love that. Thank you, man. It's really cool, too, sometimes when you say, hey, go thank somebody, and the group just breaks, and they go walk to somebody to say thank you and something. That, that turns out to be pretty fun, too, really loud. But people, don't they're not felt as if they're on the spot. And then you just 
walk to somebody and thank them too. I might have to use that. Yeah. I bet that's beautiful to watch. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Fred and Aaron, thanks again for being here and for sharing all your stories with us. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of It's in the Experience. We hope you gained some knowledge about experiential education and had some fun. Join us each month to hear more stories and experiences from other voices in the community. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For additional information, resources, and a calendar of events, including our upcoming regional conferences, visit the Association for Experiential Education online at aee.org.